All right. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leaving Churchianity podcast, where we endeavor to remove the religious baggage that Christianity has accumulated over the last 2,000 years that, that really distracts and hinders our relationship and communion with God. On this podcast, we attempt to strip all of that away and get our minds and our hearts focused back on the unaltered and liberating truths of God's holy word, to think like and live like true disciples of Christ, which is the original definition of the word Christian, a Christ follower. That's what this podcast is for, for those who are unsatisfied or frustrated with the current typical box church experience, if you will. Those who are hungry for realness and authenticity, a return to the simple sacredness of following Jesus, to experience freedom from sin and victory over sin, and assurance and the hope of eternal life. Our mission statement is to do what Paul commanded in his scripture, which is to quote, test everything like a noble Berean. The noble Bereans are the ones that we are given as our examples to make disciples of Christ. You see, only in discipleship is the full gospel revealed to you. Only disciples can experience the abundant life that Jesus offers. Only his disciples can have absolute assurance of eternal life. Only disciples can know the truths of scripture and only disciples can know or experience the presence of the Lord in their life. Disciples are those who actually follow and imitate the Messiah. As the Bible says in John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, Jesus says, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Isn't that incredible? Jesus goes on to say in verse 23, he answered the people saying, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home or our abode with that person. See, only disciples have their prayers answered according to the scriptures. Only disciples can know the will of God for their lives. It's just the fact. That's what the scripture says is the right, the privilege of disciples of Messiah. Discipleship is the instruction or the the command that is the will of God for your life. For anyone who wants to follow Christ, that is the instruction for their life. And only disciples have God's power to overcome temptation in their life. That's why there's so much failure that is prevalent, moral failure and all this throughout a lot of Christianity, throughout most of Catholicism these days, throughout most of what um, what has started as man's traditions and ended up as man's religion disguising itself as Christianity, and you see no victory over temptation in that system. And there's a reason for that. So in finishing up the series we've been doing here on returning to the holy days, the, the sacred holy days that God himself instituted and commanded for his people to worship him, as I pointed out 
so many, really tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people across this world are waking up to the realization that God said in Deuteronomy chapter 12, we are to observe his holy days, quote, throughout every generation perpetually forever, end quote. And, and the, <laughs> the very next thing he said in that passage was, do not add to or take away from the commands that I've given you. Do not add to or take away from. And, and as, as the Almighty prophesied, God is opening the eyes of, of just hundreds of thousands of people in the last 15 years, 20 years, and they're realizing that the version of Christianity that we inherited is broken. It's broken the commands by taking away all of these that God said and replacing them with three new ones. I mean, it's, it's very simple. God gave us seven holy days, said observe them throughout every generation perpetually forever. preserve these, keep them, keep them alive for every generation. And there's a reason for that because they are the perfect chronological and explanatory layout of the true gospel message. That's why God said, do not take away from these and do not add to them because you're taking away from the gospel and you're adding to the gospel. And so what, what has Christianity done over the last 2000 years of all these man's traditions creeping in? Christianity has taken away all seven of them <laughs> and they've added in three new ones being Christmas and Easter and even communion. Most people don't realize that what Jesus was talking about when he said, Hey, from now on, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. What was he talking about in Luke 21 and 22? He was talking about the Passover. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Go prepare the Passover meal. And they prepared the Passover. And he said, oh, so long I have wanted to observe this Passover with you. I will not do this again until I come back. I'm like, it's all about the Passover. <laughs> which, uh, which is why uh, Paul says, you know, you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting around verse 7, where Paul says, Christ was sacrificed for us as our Passover lamb, Therefore, comma, let us continue to keep the feast with sincerity and truth, not with the, you know, the whole unleavened bread thing. But it's, it's so interesting that for all these years, because of man's traditions blind the eyes of people and the minds of people, we read these things, but we don't see what it's actually saying. Paul says, yes, Christ was the Passover lamb. Let us therefore continue to keep the feast. He, does, he doesn't say Christ was our, our Passover lamb. He was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us institute a new ordinance, a new, let's invent a new holy day, a new holy observance. We're going to call it communion, or as it started off as the Holy Eucharist in the Catholic Church. And that's where we got it from, because all of today's modern denominations have branched off from Catholicism. They're really sister denominations, and a lot of those traditions have not been shed yet. We're still holding on to these things, still practicing that which God did not ordain, and also that which God actually said don't do in a lot of cases. Not every case. Not, I'm not saying every tradition is bad, but a lot of them are in direct defiance of what he actually said to do.
So in a real way, that's what this podcast is for. Again, that leaving churchianity, that shedding of the skin of the the last really over 2,000 years now of traditions that we've accumulated that have changed, I hate to say the religion, but for lack of a better phrase, have changed the religion that God established, that God instituted, that has been his narrow path, his way of worshiping him and following him all the way since, through recorded history, since Sinai, really. So we're trying to get rid of those and to shed those and to get back to the narrow path, back to the way he wants us to walk, the way he wants us to worship him, the way he wants us to live, how to treat others, everything. Just getting back to the basics. And we've been going through the seven holy days, well, the fall ones anyway, and we're on to the last one right now, which is the eighth day, a holiday that many people don't even realize exists because, you know, they think there's seven and there are, but when you actually look at the passage and what God says, you have the last holy day, which we went over after trumpets and day of atonement was tabernacles, which is a seven day holiday, that being seven days intermixed in that you have added on to it one more day being the eighth day where it says in Leviticus 23, um, on the first day of this uh, Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, on the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it for seven days. You shall offer an offering made by fire. And on the eighth day, so the day after the end of it, you shall have a holy convocation and you shall offer an offering made by fire to Yahweh. It is to be a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. So we have the eighth day. Sukkot, as we talked about last time, is obviously the culmination of all the appointed times. Sukkot is to the other festivals what really the Sabbath is to the other six days of the week. It is a prophetic picture of the coming kingdom that we're all looking forward to. It foreshadows the great celebration when the entire world will finally live in peace. Peace and brotherhood under the reign and the rule of the righteous and perfect King Jesus. This is, this is the culmination of what we're looking for. But unlike the solemn assembly of Sukkot, the eighth day is not a solemn assembly. But it's, it's rather, it's, it's one of the most joyous days of the entire year in the Jewish calendar. It is to be a joy, a day of rejoicing. It's the culmination of the joyous festival of Sukkot. It's really, it's, it's the high point. It's the pinnacle of the whole celebration. So these, these seven holy days, eight, if you want to call them that, really end with eight solid days of celebration, really. It's a very special day throughout scripture. We see many dedications happening on it. If we read through the scripture, you see Solomon's temple was dedicated on this day. He did it over the seven days of Sukkot and then on the eighth day, I believe it's uh, Second Chronicles chapter 7. On the eighth day, they held this ceremony for the dedication of the altar and they observed the seventh day, seven days of the Feast of Sukkot. 
Also notable on this day was the return of the exiles. When the captives returned from exile during the time of uh, Nehemiah, if you remember, they celebrated their redemption for the seven days of Sukkot through the eighth day. You find that in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 17, it says, The entire assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths, or sukkahs, and lived in them. And there was great rejoicing. And Ezra read from the book of the Torah of God daily, from the first day to the last day, and they celebrated the seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a massive celebration according to the ordinance. So we see an, an eighth day closing assembly time of celebration. Also in scripture, you have the circumcision of baby boys. You have them on the eighth day of Israel's babies, boys' lives. You have the Torah prescribing another type of dedication, just like the dedication of the temple and the dedication of the exiles. You have the dedication of the male child, one that signifies the the continuation of the covenant that God made with Abraham, if you remember. Leviticus 12, 3, on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. There's an ancient custom that the first Jewish followers of Yeshua celebrated his birth at Sukkot and his naming and circumcision on this day, the eighth day. This is when they would celebrate the birth of the Messiah as he came to tabernacle with mankind. And of course, man's traditions and Catholicism working in there has hijacked the winter solstice day and sort of moved everything and invented this day of Christmas where they claim to celebrate the birth of Christ. But the eighth day in scripture is all the way throughout scripture is full of messianic significance because it's all pointing towards this time of the messianic kingdom. It's all a shadow picture, an illustration of this. It represents that future day when the drama of redemption will finally be complete. Like I said before, the festivals are a shadow of what is to come. As Paul says in uh, Colossians 2, that these are a shadow of what is to come, not what has come. And that's the problem, that the majority of all of today's version of Christianity will try to spin that passage in Colossians 2, starting in verse 16, and say, well, this, those were a shadow of what was to come. But the fullness is of Christ, and Christ already came. And so all these things are done away with. But that's not, that's not what it says. It says these are a shadow of what is to come because the kingdom has not come yet. We haven't had the fulfillment of Christ's second advent coming, the trumpets when he comes with the trumpet and gathers his saints and the great day of atonement and the thousand-year millennial reign of him tabernacling on earth. We haven't had that yet. And we certainly haven't had the eighth day when everything is made new and literally everything starts over again with the new heavens and the new earth in perfect peace and righteousness. So it's really crazy to say that all these things are done away with. If you stop and if you just stop and think about and extract yourself from the current situation, just look at it from a bird's eye view. You can see how Satan has created this. Because this is what he wants. This is the image he wants to corrupt 
is God's holy days that are to be repeated every year between between family members, parents, and children, and passed on through every generation to keep the purity of that gospel message alive. So it's obvious this is one of the main things that Satan would target because he can change the gospel. He can remove them and create a vacuum there where he can then insert his own different feel-good gospels that will sell a whole lot better to people and give people that false sense of assurance. But unfortunately, when they get to the judgment day, as Jesus prophesies, many will hear, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. So again, we see that the the festivals are all a a shadow of what is to come. Obviously, the substance belongs to the Messiah, but they are a shadow of these things, and they tell the story. They create a prophetic blueprint, really, for the work of redemption. So you have, you know, starting in in the spring, you have Pesach or Passover, which is the death of Messiah. He's the lamb that had to be slain and sacrificed. And then you have unleavened bread, when you have the resurrection of Messiah, you have Pentecost, where you have the pouring out of the Spirit and the transferring of that. You get to the fall holy days where you have what's modernly called Rosh Hashanah, really the festival of trumpets. You have the trumpet call of the Messiah when he returns that second time and gathers his people and starts the whole second phase. Then you have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where you have the, the great day of judgment that is going to fall on this earth, and everyone will stand before the judgment seat. And you have then you have Sukkot. Some people call it the Feast of Booths. Okay, then that is the picture of the messianic era, the thousand-year millennial reign where Christ rules and reigns on the earth with his people who were resurrected in the first resurrection. And they will operate as a kingdom of priests for that thousand years. And then you have the eighth day assembly, which is the picture of the world to come. Revelation 21, 22, where you have God destroying heaven and earth and then remaking a new heavens and a new earth. And then scripture says, it doesn't say much about it, but it says there will be ages to come plural. So we're in an age right now. All these thousands of years is an age, but there will be ages plural to come after that point, which is so intriguing and exciting to think about. So we've seen a little glimpse of God's calendar, God's calendar that he set up in the sky in Genesis 1 during the creation, where he put the sun, moon, and stars in their courses in the sky to be for a clock to tell times and seasons, which is that Hebrew word, moedim, season being, really, it's the word that that we understand to be holiday or holy day, his appointed times, where he says he's going to do everything on these appointed times. And so we see his calendar, again, as I referenced before, being this, this universal cycle of sanctification, that every year repeats and you go through these things every year and you you do what the scripture says, how you observe these things is you rehearse. That's the whole point. They're, they're rehearsal days for the big performance that's coming in the future. And the Bible's calendar creates this, 
this repeating annual cycle of spiritual disciplines and in opportunities for growth in this this ongoing process of conforming our lives to match the Messiah's righteousness, to be Christ-like, to grow in our sanctification, to be more like Christ. And each appointed time is, is a meeting with God. And each time we repeat this cycle, we learn new lessons and we, we review old lessons and we learn so much from them because you can't learn them all at, one, at once. You just can't do it. You learn more every year. And every year as we go through this, we experience new spiritual growth, which is why it's such a shame that the churches in modern day Christianity have rejected these because they're rejecting the tool God gave us to cleanse our mind and to help us grow spiritually year by year. And the word that keeps getting used in scripture for these things is these are to be a memorial. We know what memorial means. That's why you like you look at Passover. Passover symbolizes God's salvation through the Messiah. He was the lamb to be slaughtered. He was the one that they were looking to. And Yeshua told his disciples to, quote, remember him. Remember in the passage, he said, remember me in the bread and in the wine of this last Seder, this Passover Seder. So it's a remembrance of Jesus being the Passover lamb. So today, I mean, we look back at that and we remember him. But at the same time, we're also looking forward to the other fulfillment when he comes in the future. And you have this whole, then you go into, you go into Pentecost. Pentecost is to be a memorial of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which was, as you know, you read throughout the New Testament, it was a down payment on the prophetic promise. Uh, Joel 2.28 says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And that is exactly the passage that Peter quotes in Acts chapter two. When you read through that, he's explaining the outpouring of the spirit and he quotes Joel chapter two, verse 28. So you have these high holy days and what people don't realize is we are to look for the signs of the times, right? For him coming back. And the whole world is judged during the holy days. These are the days we're supposed to be paying attention to. It's not on our calendar. It's on the days that are marked out on his calendar. It's not just the Jewish people, okay? The Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the creation of man. Yom Kippur depicts the final judgment of all human beings. That's the, that's the day of atonement right there. The final judgment. It's universal. It's for all people, all mankind. And Sukkot or tabernacles, the prophets predict that in the, in the messianic era, all nations are going to be keeping the feast of Sukkot. All of them. You find that in Zechariah 14, verse 16 where it says all of the nations will go up from year to year to worship the King Yahweh of hosts and to celebrate the feasts of booth. I'm sorry, the feast of booths. So it's, it's really, it's a crazy thing to say, Oh, this is, these feasts are totally done away with when you see in the future, 
when Christ comes back, he immediately reinstitutes these and he has everyone on earth celebrating them. There's a reason because they weren't done away with. That's why he said, you are to observe these throughout every generation perpetually forever, all those who choose to follow him, who want to be disciples of Christ. But I will say this. I mean, while the, while the appointed times are obviously add blessings to your walk with the master and a new depth of meaning to your faith, no doubt about this. Your faith, your walk will just explode in newness when you start doing these things. But there are really are a couple dangerous traps that we should be careful not to fall in. And first of all, judging others is a big one because everyone's on a different a different part of the path. We're all at different stages on this walk. As long as we're on the narrow path, hey, that's awesome. But we're all at different points on the narrow path. So I would say don't, you know, don't judge others who are not celebrating these holy days because each person has to work that out and they have to study these things out and they can't, we can't judge them for what the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed to them yet. They may have never even thought about these things before, like many of us haven't. And also another trapping I see that people fall into is really burning bridges, especially with your family, family and friends. You don't want to burn bridges with your family and friends or with the faith community that you came from. You know, if, if they're doing Christian holy days, obviously, you, you know, you can't partake in things that are sinful. And when they, when they get to that place, okay, we don't do that. But at the same time, we have to be there for them. And we have to be a light in the darkness. We have to not burn those bridges and keep those relationships open. And we want to encourage people to study these things out and to study out the narrow path and what God requires of us. So really summing it up a bit, you know, this, the world to come, when we look at the eighth day, this eighth day, holy day, represents the day when, like I said before, the, the drama of the plan of redemption for all of humanity will finally be complete in God's perfect timing. And Paul sa- as Paul says, these shadows are, these festivals are shadows of things to come, direct quote, and that the substance of them belongs to Christ. They're, they're, they're like the well, the shadow that is cast off by the figure of Christ in history. And even though he's standing in the future, like we're seeing that shadow in our time period right now. And you could say that the festivals create a, like I said before, a prophetic blueprint is a way that I like to describe it for the work of God's redemption. And at this point, I think a short review of the blueprint may may help reveal the deeper meaning of this this eighth day. Because the cycle started with Passover and the festival of redemption. And then the whole idea of a redemption is based on the story of the Exodus from Egypt that celebrated at Passover. That's that's the whole thing. We go through the the story of Exodus when this was first given. And read through that and learn all the lessons from that and the pictures of how that represents us coming out of sin and coming out of Egypt and into the journey into the promised land. Really the journey of sanctification in the Christian life. 
And disciples associate Jesus' death with the Passover. And not only did the Messiah die at Passover, but the annual ceremonial slaughter of the Passover lamb hinted toward his atoning death the whole time. That was the shadow that people were to, to see, to observe, and to really give them the picture of the gravity and the reality of that loss of the life and the shedding of the blood and the blood on the doorpost and the complete consumption of the animal. Like it's a real graphic picture, but that was the picture for his atoning death. And he rose from the dead during the, f- the festival of unleavened bread when sin was being cast out of people's houses and out of their lives. He was in the heart of the earth dealing with the sins of mankind. And the unleavened bread symbolized his immortal body and his resurrection landed on the first day of the counting of the Omer, which we haven't gotten into and maybe we'll do next year. But the first day of the count-off of this counting of the Omer to the next appointed time, you count 50 days and then you get to Pentecost. And Pentecost recalls the day of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai and the day when God poured out his spirit on the disciples in Jerusalem, like we reread in Acts chapter 2, while they were celebrating Pentecost. And while they were all gathered there in one location from all the different nations, which is really cool. And Rosh Hashanah signifies the second coming of Yeshua, which the blast of the shofar, the blast of the trumpet, hence the the day of the Feast of Trumpets, it's going to herald that return of the Messiah. And you have Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, looks forward to or towards the, the judgment and the cleansing that will take place when the Messiah comes going to be a massive cleansing time for the entire earth, which leads us right into tabernacles or Sukkot, the seven-day feast, which points to the future kingdom when the king, Messiah himself, in the flesh will rule and reign on this earth. And it's fair to say that the the seven-day festival of Sukkot prefigures the messianic era. When, when every single man and woman will dwell under, as scripture says, his own vine and fig tree. And there will be universal peace on the earth because King Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron. And it's going to be a time of peace, finally. And notice that the festivals have been depicting the major events of the redemption in, in a somewhat chronological or sequential manner, right? And if that's the case, and it is, then then what, as we say in, in theology, eschatological or, or end times event, what end times event in this unfolding story of, you know, the messianic redemption, what event does the eighth day symbolize? Well, it comes right after Sukkot. It comes right after the festival corresponding to the messianic era, right? The thousand year millennial reign. And in John's revelation, we learn that after the thousand years of the messianic era conclude, Revelation 20 and verse 11, God will create a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation 20 says, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. 
And in 21.1, he says, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is like what Simon Peter said in uh, you have uh, in Second Peter chapter three, verse twelve. He says the heavens will be set on fire and dissolve, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to this promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter says. After the messianic era finally comes, the the world to come is that future world of the resurrected righteous in which the, the new Jerusalem, what people call heaven, will come down and will shine brightly. It's an eternal and unchanging world in which really physicality and spirituality will be perfectly merged. And I don't even know how to understand how that will be. There will be no more death. There'll be no suffering, no tears, no sorrow, none of this in the world to come. And as scripture says, every tear will be wiped away. Isaiah 65, 17 talked about this when it says, behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered nor come into mind, which is fascinating because it's saying literally when we're resurrected there, we won't even remember the previous earth, which is in a way it's kind of sad because we won't remember our previous lives in some, in some fashion, which is a real, what's a real brain buster. So in dealing with this eighth day, the number eight already has mysterious qualities in the Bible because it falls outside of regular time. This is the whole seven day week. Ordinarily a week obviously contains seven days, not an eighth day. And likewise, the festival of Sukkot, as we know, lasts seven days, not eight days. And yet the Torah includes this eighth day. And this, this eighth day just doesn't fit in our regular understanding of the stream of time. Coincidentally, you have the shape of the eight, like we have, even though we're American, we speak English, our numbers that we have are Arabic. And the Arabic number for eight symbolizes infinity, which I find interesting. Because the eighth day literally is the picture of infinity, of eternity of the ages that will never end, which is just beyond what our mind can comprehend. Well, I think that's going to do it for these fall holy days. We're going to wrap that, wrap it up with that. And hopefully it was a little bit intriguing. Obviously it's completely foreign to our modern day Christian mindset. It, it may even seem boring to us. Like we, we, it's completely foreign to the way that we were raised, but we see the clear commands that God's followers are to observe his holy days as best they can, to learn what they can, to grow how they can, to look forward to his coming events that he promises. And we do that through the worshiping of him through these holy days. And we're to partake in the effects of sanctification that these days, these holy days have on our minds and on our lives which is really awesome. The more you do it every single year, the more you learn, the more special it becomes, the more it opens your eyes. And really, the more you understand scripture and the, the, you start to realize, wait a minute, every single person 
throughout Scripture who followed God and every single person throughout the New Testament who followed Jesus obeyed these holy days and obeyed these commands, which is just a mind blower because these are just things that we weren't taught in scripture in growing up in church. But when you read through the scripture with these things in mind, you start, you start seeing these things popping up and you see Paul saying, talking about going here, going to Jerusalem for this feast and that feast. And, oh, we have to stop. And we were doing this for this, this holy day. And it's like, wait a minute. I thought all these things were done away with. No, not in scripture. That's just what we've been what we've been taught to believe. But hopefully as you come out of modern day churchianity type thinking and you start looking at the scripture for yourself and just just praying and just letting the Holy Spirit guide you, he'll start opening your mind and your eyes to these things and your understanding and helping you to see these things and helping you to love them because these are the marks as uh, God says throughout the Torah, throughout scripture, these are the signs of his people, kind of like a wedding ring. Like the Sabbath is a symbol of who is his people. And as you know, throughout each of these holy days, you have a high Sabbath throughout them. That's a picture of your commitment to God and your relationship with him. Well, I'm going to wrap it up with that. And I hope that you guys have an awesome week. I hope that you'll come back for the next episode where we change directions completely and we're diving into the reasons why so many people are leaving churchianity these days, which is a topic of this podcast, obviously. The reasons why there's so much hurt in the church and the reasons why there's so much discomfort in people's minds and in their spirits. When they're in the modern day church system, and it's just clashing with the traditions and with the different doctrines. And you have all these 40,000 different denominations disagreeing. And it's, it's really an environment of chaos. And there's a reason for that. And really, it's just the insistence of doing things man's way. And when you strip that out, when you strip all those traditions and the emotions that come with them, and you strip out all that baggage, you're left with the simplicity of the gospel that Christianity has confounded and bought into different gospels and different lies, different false methods of salvation, not just different ways of living, but totally different beliefs on salvation and how it works, how to acquire it, how to inherit eternal life. And it's just, it's, it's so much chaos. It's so much confusion. And I just want this podcast to be a help for people to help You see the confusion for what it is and strip those things away one by one and help you see what is tradition, what is error, what is actually corrupted or brainwashing lies from Satan because you know that's what he's doing. That's what he's been doing. We want to expose those lies and help you to think biblically and to see biblically and really through the process of this, the more you start to do this stuff, the more the stress and confusion just floats away and leaves. And it is amazing. Once you lift all those things out of the way, once God helps you lift those things out of the way and you can see clearly, oh my goodness, it is amazing. The peace and the joy that you get from that and the amount of stress that just leaves when you see the current system 
for what it is. So anyway, I hope to see you next time in the next episode. And until then, I hope God richly blesses you and your family.